0: This morning, I want to read verses 9 through 18 of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. Would you please stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God? Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captives of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal under me to pass, so I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Let us pray. Lord, we love You this morning. We pray, God, as we open up Your Word, that Your Word would produce the fruit in us that You desire it to do. We pray, God, that if there be any here this morning that just need to hear from You, That as the Word is preached, You would do that magnificent, marvelous work that only You can do and speak to our souls. God, we pray this morning we would be challenged. But we acknowledge it's not enough to be challenged. We also need to be changed. May we leave changed. I pray that hope would be restored this morning in situations that seem hopeless. I pray, God, that You would speak to us through Your Word. I ask that You would anoint me to preach this morning in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. We pray if there's anybody here that's not saved. God, if there be anybody here this morning who will spend an eternity in hell if You don't save them. God, I pray today would be the day they run to You. For today is the day of salvation. Have Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to finish where we left off last week just a very brief two-part sermon simply titled, It's Never Hopeless. If you weren't here last week, we just started with the realization of how messed up Jerusalem was and how difficult of a situation it was that all of the walls had been torn down. uh, Jerusalem had become a reproach to uh, the name of God. It was a laughing stock to the uh, surrounding um, areas of people. And God birthed within Nehemiah a desire to restore the walls, to rebuild the walls, to repair what the enemy had torn down. And if you weren't here uh, for last week, the beginning of last week, I simply asked the question, have you ever been in any situation in your life where you felt like it was hopeless? Well, you felt like there was no possible way that anything could ever be repaired. It was too damaged. It was too difficult. The work was too hard to accomplish. It'd just be easier to move on, leave it behind, and, and start afresh somewhere else. That was the mentality and the attitude of the Jewish people. But there was one man who heard from God and who got his eyes off of the destruction and his eyes up towards heaven and realized God can do anything. And he had a vision, he had a plan, he had a desire, he had a goal, he had some things in mind about how to accomplish the work before he had ever went and looked at it. And that's where we pick up today. Nehemiah went and he examined the ruins. And when he got there, he saw that all the gates were burned, that what he had been told was was very accurate, that all of the walls had been crashed down, that all of the, the rocks were in ruins. And he began to examine the situation. And as we read the text, he came and for three full days, he went at night when there wasn't anybody around and he examined what was going on. And I have no doubt because his response to the people was, we can build this thing. And Nehemiah's mind and in his heart, he began to see the process of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And one of the things that I want to just touch base on this morning is the fact that when we get our hearts aligned with God and we we get our eyes on the things of God and we tune our ears into the Word of God and we surrender to God, we will begin to see hope where everyone else sees hopelessness we will begin to see the possibility of something great where everyone else says nothing could ever come of this. Nehemiah had a vision for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was able to see in the night what everybody else could not see in the broad daylight. It is a matter of perspective. It is a matter of how he chose to examine the situation. And when I think about Nehemiah, what I think about me this morning is, God, help me to be a Nehemiah in my life and in the lives of other people. Help me to be somebody who has the ability to say, it might be messed up, this might look like it's all over, but God is big enough, and let's look at what God we can work with. Rather than looking at what we can't work with, rather than looking at all the negative things, let's look at what we can do. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we need encouragers in this society. Just two nights ago, I was reading through the headlines on my iPad of the local news. And I started to laugh. And Andrea, I guess she's working with the children's church this morning, but she was beside me. I said, listen to these headlines. And I just started reading headline after headline after headline after headline. It was nothing but negative news. I said, if we believe this, we would think there is no hope in this world. There's nothing good going on. The only single positive story was about WSU. And I must confess, it was at the top of the list. For you KU and K-State fans, no story about KU or K-State. But there was a positive story about WSU. Well, that makes sense. It is WSU's year. They're undefeated. But other than that... I'm telling you, it was unbelievable. I, I just thought this is getting depressing reading the headlines. I don't even want to click on it and read any further. Now, here's the reality. In a world where we are constantly fed the negative stories, because I don't know why, but apparently that's what people like to hear, in a world where we are constantly stressed and there doesn't ever seem to be enough time and we're, we're, we're just pressed all around us and, and, and pressured to, to keep going and keep going and keep going, it's very easy to become negative. It's very easy to only see the walls are in ruins. And what I want to encourage you to do is in your life, begin to look at what God can take and do with what you have to offer. Don't ever forget that our Lord fed nearly 12,000 people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. There is nothing that God cannot do and when God is in it, it is never a hopeless situation. We need to be positive in the sense of realizing that our God is able to do above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. It's fascinating to me that this man was able to see destruction and have hope. I know people and there are no shortage of them, who can look at successful ministries and still criticize them. Who can look at something that's working, that's changing lives, and still have something to offer as to why it's just not right. The ability of the average person to find something negative to say about something positive is overwhelming. And yet, how hard it is to come across somebody that can look at a negative situation and say, there's hope there. Hey, don't give up. Don't don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Don't think that it's hopeless. You see a mess, God sees a message. You see ruins, God sees the ability to resurrect something great and have His name lifted up. So this morning I want to encourage us and encourage you, let's be people who get our eyes on God and what God can do and what God's able to do and our eyes off of all the destruction that's around us. Let's be answers to the problem and not just people who talk about the problem. I want you to notice that first Nehemiah, he went and he examined it and he, and he found hope. But after he examined it, he went to the people around him. What I'm about to tell you is one of the most crucial things you will ever hear about successful Christian living. You were never meant to do it alone. Now, God wants our faith to mature to a place where when it happens and we have to stand all alone, we are able to do that in faith. But that is not the norm for Christian living. We need each other. Nothing that God has ever called His people to that was of any significant value could be done through the work of one man. It always requires the body of Christ. It requires teamwork, if you want to use that word, teamwork. We need each other. If your marriage is falling apart, you need somebody in your life, some people in your life that you can talk to, that you can vent with and and and, and have them give you honest, good, solid, biblical, encouraging answers. If you're making career-changing decisions... if In anything and everything in our life, if we're supposed to glorify God with everything that we do, brothers and sisters, we need people in our lives to help hold us accountable, to help give us counsel. The Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. One of the things I've learned about the flesh, one of the things I've come to see about the flesh nature of man is that it thrives in secrecy. The reason that most of us don't really want to share this particular problem in our life or we don't want to have people in our lives that are aware of of, of our struggles and our problems and our stuff, sometimes it's because we're ashamed, sometimes it's because we feel guilty, but most of the time it's because there's still an inkling that really I might want to hang on to that thing. And as long as it's secret and nobody else knows about it, I can do it freely and nobody else is going to get on my case about it. The flesh thrives in secrecy. If you have a a spiritual problem that you haven't been able to overcome, if you've had an area in your life that the enemy has just overran you and the walls are down, one of the smartest things you can do is go to some people you trust and confess it and just say, hey, listen, this is my problem. This is my junk. This is where I failed and I need help. I want to rebuild the walls in this area in my life. I want my marriage to be strong. I want my relationship with my children to be strong. I, I, I want to correct this area in my life that I continually seem to fall and fall short of. And I have a difficult time in this area of my life doing what God wants me to do. One of the smartest things you can do is go tell somebody you trust about who will give you good, godly counsel. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Secrecy steps back and says, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'll just try to do this myself. I'll just try to battle this all by myself. Nobody has ever won a war all by themselves. I don't really know that there's ever been an actual battle, when you talk about warring against an enemy, that was won all by yourself. We need each other. And it's time that There's a level of authenticity in the church where we do not excuse sin, where we do not sweep it under the carpet, where we are not afraid to call it what it is, sin against a holy God. But on the same hand, Willing to acknowledge we all have weaknesses. We all make mistakes. We all fall flat on our face. We all struggle with the flesh nature. And we need help. We need each other to build a strong fortress of a life. To build a strong marriage. To, to build a strong Christian walk. And I am never, I was never meant or created to do it all by myself in, behind closed doors. I need you and you need me. Amen. Nehemiah realized he was not a one-man ministry. God had given him the vision. God had put it within his heart. We see. He said he didn't tell anybody the things that God had put in his heart. God had placed it in his heart. He had faith that God was able to accomplish it, but he had the wisdom to know God wants to use other people besides just me to lift up His holy name. So we need accountability. We need the help of each other. We need people in our lives who can help us, encourage us, and challenge us to do great things for God. I want to encourage you. Put those people in your life who will tell you the truth. Don't just surround yourself with people who are going to tell you what you want to hear because you think they're your friend. That's not really a friend. Some of the dearest friends in my life have told me things I just didn't want to hear. But I needed to hear it. Sometimes they come from my wife. She knows me better than any of you. Thank God for a wife who has enough courage to say, that attitude stinks. Amen. Amen. I got, <laughs> thought I would have got more amens from the lady. <laughs> Thank God for friends who have enough integrity to say, Brother, I love you, but you're just off here. And from my perspective, you're acting like a fool. Knock it off. Straighten up. You represent my father. You're my brother. We're on the same team. We're in the same family. I'm for you. I'm not against you. But I am not going to sit by and let you act like that and say nothing about it. We need those people in our lives. Be honest with yourself. If you're left to yourself to judge yourself... The way of every man is right in his own eyes. It's important that we surround ourselves with people who will help us build the fortress of a life that God wants us to build. Let us learn from Nehemiah. You can get the vision from God. You can get the strength from God. But don't try to do it by yourself. We need people. And so we have now in in our story here, hope has arisen. Nehemiah has did what nobody else would do. He dared to believe God. He spent time in prayer. He spent time weeping over the situation. He was broken over it. and God burst within him the, the, the belief, it's not hopeless. This thing is not over. I know the walls were in ruins, but hey, we had to haul that rock in last time. It's just sitting there for us now. It'll be a lot easier to build the wall now than it was to start with. You see, it's all about perspective. And he goes, and he sees, and he gets a vision, and he tells the people, and the people are ready to go. Here's what I want you to see. If you read the next two verses, verses 19 and 20, you'll find that they were ridiculed. If you read chapter 4 and verse 1, let me just read chapter 4 and verse 1 because it really encompasses what I want to share. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. You need to understand that there will be opposition when you try to do the will of God in your life. There will be opposition, and it's unfortunate a lot of times it comes from the, the people in the world you would least expect it from. People that you think would come alongside and say, you're doing great. This is fantastic. Sometimes it comes from those people. Sometimes it comes from somebody. It's none of their business. Like these two guys. What's happened to Ballot? What's none of your business? Why are you in the middle of it? Just rest assured, the devil will make sure there's somebody in the middle of your business that has us, thinks they have something to say, thinks they've got advice that you need to hear, And and finds it their ministry to ridicule you. Here's what I would tell you: get over it. Everybody gets ridiculed. Everybody gets mocked from time to time. God didn't put the vision in Sanballat's heart; He put it in Nehemiah's heart. I've had to tell that a time or two to preacher friends of mine who they're 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 uh, uh, ridiculed. their they're um, being accused by people in their congregation and, 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 and they don't understand why so-and-so would say this or why so-and-so would say that. And I tell them, listen, there is a reason that God didn't call so-and-so to pastor that church. And you can't let what everybody else in the world says influence what you do for God. There's going to be ridicule. There's going to be people who question you. Anything that is great is going to come with opposition. Anything. Whether it's trying to rebuild a marriage that seems like it's falling apart. Whether it's trying to start a new business. Whether it's trying to uh, repair a relationship with friends or family or your children. Anything that is great and that, that takes work, you're going to find it's discouraging from time to time. And you need to know that. You need to know that ahead of time. We live in this crazy Christian society where we think if God's in it, it's all just going to be easy. Right? Well, if God wants it to happen, He'll just make it happen. If God wanted to, God could have sat in His recliner and folded His arms back and said, Walls, behold! Behold! And the whole walls would have flown together and mortar flown in place and gates all of a sudden just appear. He could have. But this book, which God has chosen to reveal Himself to us through, reveals to us, God chooses not to work that way. God chooses to work through people, a willing people who will obey Him and believe Him. And so don't think that just because it's difficult and because there's opposition, well, it must not be God. On the other hand, and this is very important, don't think that because it's easy that God has given approval. They really have nothing to do with God's approval. God's approval comes down to what has God said and our willingness to be obedient to it regardless of whether it's easy or it's hard. Jonah sinned against God. God said... I want you to go and I want you to preach to Nineveh. Jonah said, I think I'll go to Joppa instead. You know what the Bible tells us? It tells us that, that Jonah went the other way. God didn't stop and shout at him, no, Jonah, stop, turn the other direction. He even goes down to a port and he buys a ticket. I know a lot of people say, well, it must be God's favor. No, it's not God's favor. God told you to go to Nineveh. Finds out he gets a ticket and there's a boat for him to get on. Everything is just going well. Must be God. No. The fact that God does not intervene against your will and force you like a robot to do what He says does not mean that He approves of what you're doing nor does the silence of God mean He approves of what you're doing. In Jonah's situation, God didn't need to speak again. He had already told him what to do. And so the fact that everything was working out for a little while, the fact that everything was falling in place, doesn't necessarily mean it was God's will. God had already clearly said what His will was. And so God didn't have to intervene and stop it to prove it wasn't His will. So here's what we need to understand. Here's the application to us from the life of Nehemiah to the life of Jonah. Sometimes serving God is hard, sometimes there's opposition, sometimes things go well and things go smooth. We cannot determine whether or not we're in the will of God based upon is it hard or is it smooth. And in this shallow modern-day Christianity, that's the way most people do it. All right God, I'm going to try to serve you, and I'm going to go to church for three weeks in a row. But if everything doesn't change by then, I'll just maybe God doesn't really want me to go to church. We have to quit trying to determine God's will based upon how easy the path is. And you need to know, sometimes it's going to be hard, and sometimes you're going to be ridiculed. One of the things I've learned about ridicule, and I, and I want to say what ridicule is. I, want to, I think it's important I define that this morning. Ridicule is not truly constructive criticism. Because there is a time and place for that. Ridicule is not, brother, the Word of God says this, and I don't think this lines up with what you're doing here. That's not ridicule. Ridicule is the personal attack against a person. It is a judgment on your heart. It is, it is, you know, statements like demeaning condescending statements that are meant to make you feel little about yourself that's ridicule you know what i've learned over the years ridicule is what people give when they really have no ground to stand on they had a leg to stand on that's what they deliver but they don't and so they attack the person ridicule comes from those who have nothing else to offer And just about anyone and everyone who's ever accomplished anything great has had to face it. You know, this sometimes, in my opinion, sometimes we Christians like to act like we're the victims. It's just so hard to be a Christian. It's hard to do anything great. I don't know anyone that's ever accomplished anything great that didn't put a lot of hard work into it. And that didn't go through ridicule. I'm telling you, being willing to do what everybody else won't Brings about ridicule. Any great advancement that's ever happened in science, you can rest assured there was a lot of ridicule along the way. Anybody who's ever invented something great went through a bunch of ridicule on the way. Anybody who ever dared to think about something new and to think outside the box and to look at a bunch of ruins and say, no, God God can build that thing up. We can do this. Has faced ridicule along the way. So be prepared for ridicule. Don't let it stop you. This morning, here's the heart. The heart of this two-part series. What do we do about it? Here's the practical application. What do you do you got a marriage that needs reworked, you got a relationship that needs rebuilt, you've got, maybe in your Christian walk, you have just grown cold, you have grown despondent, your hunger for the things of God, your hunger to be used of God, your hunger for service has just kind of faded and you don't know where to pick it up and you don't know, you don't even know where to start off and it feels like that part of your life is in ruins. May, whatever it is in your life, here, here comes the practical application. As we've learned, first of all, you've got to get your eyes off of the ruins and get your eyes on God. But what do we do? How do we rebuild what was torn down? How do we repair what has been broken? What I want us to see this morning is that with the exception of the wood, which had to be brought in to rebuild the gates, all the materials were already there. All the materials were already there. I would like to give you something profound at this moment. But it would fly in the face of the point itself. The problem with the modern day church and with the average Christian, we're always looking for the next new thing. The next new craze. The next new fad. The next new this. We don't need something new. The old stones still work. It's not that we need new stones, it's that we need to pick up the stones that we let fall down and get them back in place. I don't know who said it, but I know it stuck with me about four or five years ago. I said we had just started the church, it would have been two or three years, and there was what I felt a level of pressure to always have something new. To come up with something nobody had ever heard. Well, believe it or not, that's not possible. There's nothing new under the sun. And I heard a statement that literally changed my view on ministry. And it was a simple statement. Great preachers are not those who are constantly telling us something new. Great preachers are those who are willing to remind us of what we are so quick to forget. And we are quick to forget. We are. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the old stones still work. What are the old stones that we need to put back in place? First of all, we need to recover the stone of faith. Faith in its simplest form is believing God and obeying Him as a result of that belief. Real biblical faith goes beyond just believing and it is believing to the point of action. That's what real biblical faith is. It's not enough to say, I believe God, I trust God. I must believe God to the point that it forces me to obey God what I say, I believe. We must recover honest biblical faith. A willingness, God, I'm going to follow You. I'm going to be faithful to You. I'm going to trust You no matter what comes my way. Earlier this week, I wrote on the on the statement that Jesus' mother made Concerning the first miracle that Jesus ever did, which was turning the water into wine in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus' mother made the most simple statement that brought about the first recorded miracle Jesus ever did. She said to the servants there this simple statement, Whatever He says to you, do it. That is simple. Whatever He says to you, do it. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's where faith starts. I don't have to understand it. Go get, em, em, go get water pots, right? That's, he told us to go get water pots and bring water here. Does that make sense to anybody in here? It doesn't make sense to me. God never asked us to make sense of His commands. God never asked us to understand His ways. I have no doubt this is an opinion of mine, but I have no doubt Jesus' mother had seen him work miracles before. That's why I believe that's what why she thought to tell them to go do whatever he says. It just this is the first recorded miracle. And she had seen it before. Whatever he says, you might not understand it, but whatever he says, do it. See, that's faith. We've got to quit arguing with God. But God, if I obey You in this area of my life, then this might happen. We want to know all the the beginning from the end of what will happen if we obey. And it doesn't doesn't happen that way. God wants us to walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. I want to encourage you this morning. If you have quit being obedient to God, if you have have, uh, turned your head and your eyes away from the commandments of God in your life, if you know God has said and yet you still refuse to obey, I encourage you this morning, repent. You are cutting off the life of God from your very own life. You are hurting your life. You are hurting your marriage. You are hurting your children if you have children. There is nothing good that ever comes out of disobeying God. You might not understand why God has said, but whatever He has said, Do it. It's simple, isn't it? It's not profound. It's just simple. But it's one of the stones of faith we've got to return to. The second that we've got to return to is prayer. Prayer is a discipline that has become a lost art in this culture. And a lot of it is because we're so busy. There's a song that I listen to when I walk sometimes. And um, you, if you've been in the church any length of time and were raised up listening to hymns, you're probably familiar with it. It is the song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. It's a beautiful song. I've listened to that. And I'm just telling you, your pastor... I have honestly thought to myself, I wonder if there's one person in our church who could actually sing that song this week. Sweet hour of prayer. The modern day 2014 version ought to be sweet three minutes of prayer. But it's true. Can I confess something to you this morning? The last couple of weeks have been difficult for me. Difficult because I got too much going on. That's the bottom line. Too much going on. And my house is a mess. I've got dust all over the place. I had to break apart some walls. And, um,. I got mad about that and took my saw and ran it along the walls to cut them out. Instead of cutting it out right, you know, with the, with the steel saw. Blowing dust all over the place. And then I'm mad because I got not dust just there, but it's all over the place. It's on top of the TV. It's on top of the refrigerator. It's everywhere in the whole house. And so now there's more work. Just that type of couple weeks I've had. And it's been busy. And I noticed about three days ago that I had a really bad attitude. There's some things that happened and thank God, by the grace of God, I wasn't to the point of snapping. I didn't say anything, but I'm telling you the things I thought, the things I wanted to say, the way I was feeling, I haven't felt that way in a really long time. I couldn't even tell you how long it's been. And I realized something's wrong. And... Just yesterday, I got away and I spent some time with just me and just God. And you know what I realized yesterday? The problem isn't that I'm busy. The problem isn't that i got sheetrock dust all over the place. The problem isn't that I can't paint nothing without my one-year-old running his hands through it and then putting it on his clothes that's not my problem my problem is that i've allowed all of that to keep me from spending time with god and that just getting away from it for 30 minutes to an hour and just sitting with god to know him and to spend time with him it changed in one hour what two weeks of busting my tail could not produce And what I thought yesterday about all this prayer is a discipline, brothers and sisters. You know why I didn't pray over the last two weeks very much? I didn't feel like it. That's why. I had other more important things to do, like make cheat rock dust. There will always be an excuse for why I don't have time to pray. There will always be an excuse for why I don't have time to study and get into the Word of God. It takes discipline. And if you want to experience victorious Christian living, if you want to experience the rebuilding of walls in your life that have been broken down, not only are you going to have to put the stone back up of faith that says, whatever He says, I'm going to do it, you're going to have to put the stone back up of prayer that says, I have got to be with God today. I have got to get away from this mess and from everything else, and I've got to spend time with Him. Because He's the prize. He's the reason I live for. He's what I'm after. It's not after all this stuff. And I'm telling you, it takes discipline. And I encourage you this morning, if you have laid down the stone of prayer in your life, if prayer is not something that you are doing each and every day, Get that stone up off the ground and get it back on the wall because it is absolutely crucial to living the life that God wants you to live. We see the the stone of faith, the stone of prayer. I've already mentioned it, but I want to say again the stone of determination and commitment. Nothing comes easy. Nothing comes easy. It takes commitment. We, Our society, especially 35 and under, especially 25 and under, our society is such an entitlement society. I mean, we want it all for nothing. We think somebody owes it to us. That I should be able to just sit around and everybody else take care of me. And it creeps into our Christian uh, life. It, it, is a, it is a totally flawed point of view that will just about ruin anybody that grabs a hold of it. Because nothing does come easy. And it, I'm here to tell you this morning, nobody owes you anything. It is not somebody else's job to make your relationship right with God. It is not somebody else's job to get you where God wants you to be. It is your job. And it takes work. It takes diligence. It takes determination. It takes a willingness to say that even though sometimes there are going to be days when it feels like God is a thousand miles away, I'm still going to be faithful to God. Because I know that He's God whether I feel it or not, whether I feel close to Him or not, whether it's been a good week or a bad week, he is unchangeable. He is always good. He is always faithful. He has not left me. He has not forsaken me. So I will be faithful to Him today whether I feel like it or not. Yes, thank you. It takes that type of determination. A willingness to stick it in. I'm going to be faithful. I mentioned Wednesday night because we're going through Hebrews and we went through the passages. It says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is, church is an important part of our life. You need to be here. You need to have an attitude. I'm going to be committed to the house of God where God's people come to worship and where, where God's teachers and preachers bring forth the word because there is a good chance that when I'm there, God will speak to me. You can't just decide you're going to come when you feel like coming. If, I want to think about, I want I want to say this with love and compassion. If you're the type of person that misses church a lot, be honest with yourself this morning and be honest with me. Isn't it a lot easier to miss the second time after you miss the first time? Isn't it? I mean, you think, well, I just don't feel like it this week, I'll go next week. Will you? And then you've gone for two weeks, you've gone for three weeks. And it's just like, well, I've been gone for three weeks, and, you know, why, why don't you even come? I had somebody tell me the other day, true story, they were thinking about coming, but they found out I was in the middle of the series and I was already four parts in. And so they figured they'd just wait till I was over with the series instead of jumping in the middle of it. <laughs> I'm not joking, that is a real thing I was just told recently. It takes determination to be faithful to God. You're not always going to feel like it. You're just not. I don't always feel like it. That might be shocking to you. My advice is get involved. Get connected so there's some level of accountability to be here. It helps. I've told people before and I'm not ashamed to say it. I don't know where I'd be had I not been preaching for the last 14 years. I don't know. But I know this. I had to be there because I was scheduled to preach. I don't have the thought or the chance to sit down and think, well, I just don't feel like going. I have to be there. And you know what? It's been really helpful for my spiritual growth. That's just the truth. It's forced me to get in the Word. Studying for this exact sermon forced me to, to get away with God yesterday and, and to grapple with these things. And when I started thinking about the stone of prayer, it was like God just showed it to me. Son, that's why you've been feeling the way you have for two weeks. And it takes determination to say, well, I'm not going to be a quitter. I'm not going to mope about it. I ask for God's forgiveness. I acknowledge God. I have been lazy. And shamefully, I haven't just been lazy. I've been real busy about other stuff. But I have neglected you. I have neglected my time with you. And I acknowledge it and I confess it and I repented of it. And then had to place my faith and thank God for the blood of Jesus that cleanses all our sins. And I had to get up with a clean conscience and say, you know what? I've got a duty to do what God's called me to do. Get in the Word. Get yourself ready. Because there's people who will need to hear the Word of God tomorrow. That is real life Christian living, my brothers and sisters. That's real stuff. That's where we live. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if, you, if you're going to rebuild the walls, if you're going to stand strong, you, you've got to be willing to pick back up those, those rocks in your life, those stones, and, and pray and have faith and be determined and be committed. Be committed. Be committed. We just live in a day of no commitment whatsoever. God knows my heart and I sure hope that you can hear it in my voice. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. But we live in a quitter society. We live in a quitter society. That's why the divorce rate is over 50% now, including in the church. 65% 65% of sex marriages end in divorce. You know why? The more you quit, the easier it becomes. We kind of live in a tested it society, right? Let's just test it and see if it works. We've become such that mentality, now we just got people shacking up for years. Testing it. You've got to stop. You've got to be committed. You've got to be committed to God. I am not turning this direction. I am not turning that direction. I am not giving up. I'm going to be committed. And even when it doesn't seem to go my way, even when I show up to church and it doesn't I was expecting God to just like fall and change my life. And I didn't really get it that time. It used to be that way a long time ago, but it doesn't seem to be that way anymore. And so why even go? Stop the madness. Be committed to God. Sometimes service will be that way. Sometimes the sermon will be so direct, it feels like you're the only person in here. Sometimes it won't. But what you can rest assured is if you're committed to God and you're committed to the church, that if you're here every week of your life and you're committed here, you are going to hear the Word of God preached. You're going to come to know more about God. You're going to come to know more about how to study the Word of God. You're going to build relationships with other Christians that are like minded like you. And when it's all said and done, it pays to be committed. We have to stop the mentality that if I just have a couple of weeks or a month where it doesn't seem like I'm getting any return, just quit. Yeah. Well, maybe during those weeks or those months, it wasn't that you were supposed to be getting a return. It's that you're part of the body of Christ and you're supposed to be here doing something to help others. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be committed. I hope you still love me after saying that. <clears throat> I am trying to help you. I care about you. More more importantly, God cares about you. I know that the Christian life is a life of ups and downs. Life is a life of ups and downs. I know it. But I know that being committed and being determined to stay faithful to God is one of the absolute crucial keys to living the life God's called you to live. And as our worship team comes, the last thing I want to say... That we have got to rebuild the wall with. The final stone this morning is a stone of full hearted devotion. The word repair is used 35 times as Nehemiah describes what was being done. And I want you to that, that particular word that's translated in the English as repair. It specifically means. To make strong and firm. To make strong and firm. Nehemiah wasn't interested in a quick fix. It wasn't, let's just put some stones up here and give the appearance of a wall so all of our enemies think that we've got it together. No, he wanted to repair it. To actually fix it and to fix it firm and firm. And strong. That's the type of devotion we've got to have with God, brothers and sisters. A full hearted devotion. One that says, God, I want to do the best I can to go all the way with you. I'm not just going to try to go far enough that I feel like I'm in your blessing so that I can obtain from you what I'm trying to obtain. But God, I'm going all in, fully devoted to you. Because though I don't understand your ways all the time, I know that they're best. I know they're best for me. I know they're best for my family. I know they're best for my children. I know they're best for my career. I know they're best for everything. And so I'm not going to do this thing half-hearted. I'm not going to be halfway in. God, I'm going to be faithful to You with all of my heart. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, The response was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second, he said, was to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, in those two, hang all the law and the prophets. The first statement, love God with all your heart. This morning, if your heart's divided, if your walls haven't broken down already, they will. You've got to have a heart that's devoted to God. Father, I pray that You move across this room. I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged this morning by the reality that the old stones still work. That when our life goes in disarray, Father, we do not have to look for something new. We just need to pick up the old foundations of our faith and get back to prayer, get back to living by faith, get back to being determined and committed to Your will for our lives. And I pray right now that in this room, the people here under the sound of my voice who are facing battles, who are facing struggles, who have walls that have been broken down in their lives, maybe their marriages, maybe their just relationships, maybe their commitment to You, I pray that hope would arise this morning and they would see it is never hopeless when You are in it. Let hope arise. God, may our hearts have the same life birthed in them that You put in Nehemiah's heart to believe, if possible. It's possible. Let's quit being destroyed by what happened in the past. Let's quit being controlled in the present by how bad things were before. And let's start rebuilding the walls of our lives. I ask it in Jesus' name.